0: Morning.
1: Good morning. Good morning. You I mean to wish me a good morning? What you mean that it is a good morning, whether I want it or not?
0: Please go away. Let me speak for the love of God.
2: The dress code for today's episode, Ben, is long black trench coat. Collar up. Uh... <laughs> Shoulder gun holster underneath and a cigarette if you've got one. And uh, if you want to pull a broody look, by all means, that will enhance the experience. I'm also smoking some French cigarettes. Excellent. Uh, and if you're living alone, presumably you would have um, a two-week-old noodle box in your fridge, maybe a six-pack of beers.
3: But the two-week-old noodle box is where I store my backup gun.
2: Oh. <laughs> These are the tropes that never get old, although you don't really see them in movies anymore. You, no. have to, you have to go back to the 80s, and let's not forget the sax. Got to have the sax. Got to have uh,
3: nothing nothing like the saxophone to make anything sexy. <laughs> That's
2: right. And this, my friends, will be the sexiest episode you've ever heard. <laughs> uh, thank you for hitting play. This is Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast presented by FakeShamp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran, and today I speak to you while dressed to kill for today's neo-noir theme. Sitting opposite me, as he does every week, is Ben Helwig, who clearly misunderstood the brief, and Kane dressed as a neo-Nazi. Hey, Ben, how are you? Zig Hale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have no idea of knowing where you're listening from, and um, wherever you found us, we're available everywhere else also, and that is all the platforms, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, countless others, whatever's easiest for you.
3: So switch. <laughs> now, right <Yeah>. now. <laughs> Is
2: Spotify not doing it for you? Like a
3: wind them all up <laughs> on your phone and then just go from app to app.
2: That's a good idea. That's a real experience. Once again, thank you for choosing us today. We love producing this show for you. It's hard to believe that um, we're almost at the end of the 2021 season, Ben. Where did mm. that year go?
3: Don't ask me, I was at home the entire time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) For most of it. uh, This is our second to last show for the year, so um, this is a great moment to let you all know that next week we have a special end of year Christmas episode. You may remember from last year, our Christmas episode was an all-in affair. We had everybody involved on the show in on a Zoom chat and that was fun. I think we were in lockdown at that point in time.
3: Uh, oh, I don't know about that.
2: Maybe it was just easiest we, to facilitate everybody.
3: It was just that a lot of people were from interstate or from the other. Even the even like Jarrett and stuff. The people who are local were live on the other side of the of the city.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, for this year, we've got something special. We're going to get as many of us into the one room as possible and do an all in affair, and um, and we'll have uh,
3: have a good time. We're going to make our very own COVID hotspot. <laughs>
2: So, make sure you don't miss that. <laughs> Swab at the door. <laughs>
3: That's right. We'll have our own QR code. Watch but, out for that.
2: But uh, we are talking about 1980s neo-noir films today, to be more specific. And, and Ben, let us, let's define the genre um, before we go a little bit further. Do it. Because neo-noir is not to be confused with your more classic film noir, uh, nor is it to be confused with your regular thriller. And so I really, I I had to go to Wikipedia to try and figure out how we define this because that's, you know, that's the source of all information, isn't it? See,
3: I'm glad you did that. I just went to Google and typed in 80s film noir.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you came up with some movies that were just thrillers.
3: Well, I feel like, I don't feel like they count as film noir, but I mean, look, I guess the, I guess the argument could be made by someone. Mm. I personally, like I would have been talking about No Way Out. Yeah but I don't feel like that's a, a neo-noir. I feel like that's just a, a thriller.
2: And this, I guess, is where it comes down to it's a matter of, I guess, perception because <coughs> mm. I totally. thought there was a way to define it, but there's not. What Wikipedia says is that neo-noir is a revival of film noir, a genre that had originally, originally flourished during post-World War II era in the United States, roughly from 1945 to 1960. The French term film noir translates literally to the English black movie or dark movie indicating sinister stories often presented in shadowy, cinematic style. Neo-noir has a similar style, but with updated themes, content style, and visual elements. So, there it is. It's kind of open to interpretation.
3: And what we have learnt from that little description, uh, (laughs) children, is that not only can Glenn not pronounce (laughs) names, but he cannot pronounce the word originally.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's not fun to make... To make lighter speech impediments. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of a song to sing there. So, yeah. <laughs> you know what one too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess um, what you would call current, what would you call current film noir? Do we even do film noir anymore? Oh, look, I think
3: there's, there's, yeah, I would say those elements exist in in. In modern films, like Last Night in Soho, is definitely a kind of a, a film noir.
2: Well, I guess more to the point, the term neo noir kind of has to have an expiry date, surely, because it's sort of a post-war. Because yeah, thing, well, like... what's
3: yeah neo? Well, neo is always neo, right? Neo means new. Yeah, that's right. So
2: it's the new noir. So the the neo so noir.
3: Well, that's right. Well, eighties. That's why you have to say eighties neo well, noir because it's not or well, eighties noir. It because it's only new then. <laughs> it's so not new now.
2: No way out was neo noir, and now it's not.
3: Yeah, I don't know what, what's French for old, <laughs> old noir. I don't know. Um, old noir
2: is is, is dead bang neo noir because <laughs> you know that's like never far from my mind.
3: You're always you're always thinking about dead bang, and I have got to tell you, like you talked it up so much, and when I finally watched it, I'm like, eh. you're disappointed. I was like, this is not the this is not the opus that Glenn made it out to be. I don't know. I I, I don't know what dead bang is.
2: I kind of like because it fits the fits the profile of what I just read out. Yeah, but it's you know it's not Blood Simple. and It's not like Black Rain and Year of the Dragon. They're the kind of f- films that come to my mind when I think of eighties noir. Yeah. Anyway, that just sort of or proves, to live and die
3: in L.A. It or... just
2: sort of proves how loose and complicated this episode might
3: yeah. be. <laughs> it's just a, it's a thinly veiled uh it's a thinly veiled uh, theme that we can talk about. Just so we can talk about movies we want to talk about.
2: Well, yeah. I also my, my mind goes to sort of dank dark, sort of wet types of cityscapes as well. Like, you know, city streets that are... You know, I do
3: think rain is definitely a big part of noir. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, it's 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 as much a part of it as the night is.
2: I love how just the term makes us turn French within, it, like, one syllable.
3: Noir. Noir.
2: Film noir. Le noir. <laughs> well, anyway. I feel like
3: I'm one of the enemy pirates in Hornblower. <laughs> vive la France! Well,
2: let's see how this one goes, uh, but first... Or vive la foi, as they say in the show, So,
1: Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Now, this week is the last week for new release titles on home entertainment. No one's releasing anything next week. It's too close to Christmas, so it's either out this week or it's waiting till December 29th. Now, first up, Disney are rushing two of their recent theatrical releases, from cinemas to home entertainment, in that lightning fast fashion that we've grown accustomed to over these last couple months. The first of which is the Scott Cooper directed horror feature Antlers starring Carrie Russell. And this one's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD and the Blu-ray has six featurettes as well as a Comic-Con Q&A. Then the second release from Disney is another film that sort of failed to ignite any box office momentum and that is Ridley Scott's The Last Jewel. It's coming out on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD, the 4K Ultra HD has Dolby Atmos, and both the 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray have the documentary The Making of the Last Jewel. This is an extensive documentary on the making of the film with more Ridley Scott than a Russian entertainment journalist could handle. Then, from the back catalogue of Disney comes Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's coming out in 4K Ultra HD. However, it will only have the 4K Ultra HD. It will not have the Blu-ray component, which means you will only get one of the Legacy special features on this release, which is an audio commentary. Then, lastly from Disney, the Pirates of the Caribbean collection, which includes all five films, because you know how much demand there are for these films, and you know how people say, I love those Pirates of the Caribbean films, but how could they be? better and uh, you know maybe if they came out in 4k ultra HD no one's fucking said that why is this being released who knows who cares moving on to umbrella they're releasing sex and zen on blu-ray this is the second release in their new sensual cinema line following showgirls now the blu-ray will contain an interview with director michael mark as well as the film's theatrical trailer then shame is making its worldwide debut on blu-ray as part of umbrella's sunburnt screen series this is going to port all the legacy special features from umbrellas dvd as well as include some new interviews other titles coming out from umbrella include robin hood men in tights on blu-ray as well as slumber party massacre on dvd this is the new redo that we played at monster fest which is very cool and worth checking out and then imprint have two releases coming out this week on blu-ray they are Tam Lynn and The Possession of Joel Delaney. Anyway, that's it for me for this week, so until next time, stay physical.
2: Jumping straight into mine, Ben. Jack Nicholson once said that his 1982 film The Border is the best film he's ever made, and that's the one I'm going to go with for my recommendation. I mean, that's, right. a, that's, a, that's a tall order.
3: I think it's all right. I don't think it's any going south. But I okay. love it.
2: I love it, um, and I hadn't seen it before you know, this week. Right. You know, for, in preparation for this episode, I should say. Um, I'd known about it. I'd know the poster and i know like the premise and the tagline. The biggest fucking tagline on a poster in the history of <laughs> cinema. Have you seen that? It takes up half the poster. I don't <laughs> remember. I, I, I've got the video cover in my head. But I well, it's like you don't know if you read in the front or the back with the size <laughs> of that bloody <laughs> the tagline. But um, directed by Tony Richardson, who's the guy that also made Blue Sky and Tom Jones with Albert Finney and Ned Kelly
3: with... Um, he made Tom Jones? He did. It's not unusual <laughs> <God>. <laughs> for me to love Tom Jones.
2: <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh. Um, but um, <laughs> the film follows Nicholson's character, who is a crooked cop trying to go good. And he takes a job as a border patrol officer on the Texas-Mexico border. And then when he's faced with like, you know, when he gets there, he's faced with this new kind of ugliness that he didn't know existed, and it's the the harsh reality of the Mexican refugee crisis. I was and gonna say it's
3: people smuggling and drugs and all yeah. Of
2: stuff. And I guess in his mind, when he got to the border, he was expecting just you know like you know hapless people trying to f- make a better life for themselves, not realizing that it was the world of trafficking and you mm-hmm. know and all that. And um, there's. Yeah, it's an interesting one here because there's a lot of subtext that play as well with his character. And you
3: know how I feel about subtext; just put it in the text.
2: <laughs> but the narrative itself um, it focuses on a Mexican woman who's had her baby stolen from her at the border and sold onto the black market. So um, naturally, that leads to a very grim kind of you know narrative and. and Jack Nicholson finds that his colleagues are kind of swept up in this. That there's a lot of crooked cops. Right. One of them, of which, is his partner played by Harvey Keitel. And um, you know, he's fantastic in this. It was Harvey sort of before he hit the Reservoir Dogs stride. You know how, right. He was in a lot of things and you knew about him, but Reservoir Dogs put him on the map. Yeah. Um, and he's great. And But I'll tell you what, possibly one of the most annoying housewives I've ever seen in cinema history has to go to Valerie Perrine.
4: <laughs> like, I, really? I mean
2: I like her a lot right yeah Um, but I've never seen her so annoying that she's in this movie <laughs> Ooh, second maybe only to Roseanne Barr <laughs> in Angels from the you know what was, it, what was the uh, <laughs> She Devil she, she Devil, Devil yeah
3: Ooh. and what's the one where she plays football with Tom Arnold oh
2: god I don't want to remember that <laughs> one <Yeah. laughs> I know the one you mean though Um, But it's also got Warren Oates and Gary Grubbs is in there, Shannon Wilcox. So it's got a good cast. Yeah, right. Um, I have seen this. I have seen the movie, but it was a long time ago. I will admit, like, the the story itself is pretty predictable. Like, you kind of know where it's going, and you kind of sense that it's going to have a squeaky clean ending. You know, it's going to have that Hollywood ending. But to me, it's an exercise in atmosphere, and the performance of Nicholson is... I actually think it is probably one of his best, because you can see that real shift in his character from, you know... Uh, completely naive to you know has the world of the weight of the world on his shoulders. Yeah, and I like that. I think that's probably why he would consider it his best, just because he's probably proud of the performance. But I um I highly recommend it. It's pretty easy to come by, and it, for me, it feels like it's cut from the same cloth as like um, Oliver Stone, Salvador. Yeah, so right. if you know the tone of that film, then you get a pretty good idea of what this one's all about. Sort of the American take on that. But yeah, The Border, Jack Nicholson, it's, um yeah, up there is one of the best.
3: Hang on for a second. I, I got In my head, I got confused with Salvador and Oscar with uh, Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Very different films. How did that happen? <laughs> just because they're names. Oh, right. They're um, not names. Oh, Salvador's a country. But, well, Salvador's uh, you
2: know. close to Sylvester.
3: Yeah, <laughs> Sylvester. That's it. I just wanted, I just look for any, any opportunity to bring up... Uh, Sylvester Stallone's Oscar in Conversation. Who
2: was that? Was that uh, John Landis direct that? I believe, yeah. Oh, wow, that was the beginning of the decline. Yeah, should <laughs> <laughs> have been the end of it. Did he do a great? Did he do any great movies after that? I don't think so. I don't know.
3: I've got to go back and watch that his Burke and Hare movie.
2: Oh yeah, that was a good Burke movie, and, but it certainly Hare? Wills. Hare, it but them? it certainly wasn't you know top tier John Landis. Yeah, but it's it was... no Plunkett and McLean. <laughs> it was a, it was a promise of a return.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: And that was about it. But anyway, what is your first film off the rank?
3: Uh, well, I'm going to talk about... I, th- I have that, I have a sneaking suspicion that maybe I have mentioned this film before on the show. Maybe I've talked about it, but tough titties. They say repetition is uh, a cornerstone of education. So I'm going to talk about 52 Pickup. Right, yes. The John Frankenheimer film. Uh, John Frankenheimer is the guy who directed Menture and Candidate, Seconds, Birdman from Alcatraz... Prophecy, And he also was the pinch hitter on, uh, on, uh, uh, the island of Dr. Moreau when they, after they fired, uh, uh, J- Richard Stanley.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, it's based on a novel by Elmore Leonard. So, you know, it's going to be good. <laughs> uh, and it does, it stars Roy Schneider as Roy Schneider plays this, um, he's a businessman. He kind of, he owns like a steelworks type plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's married to Anne Margaret, but he also has a mistress on the side, uh, played by Kelly Preston, a young Kelly Preston. Um, and then one day he gets this message telling him that Kelly Preston has been kidnapped. And, uh, if he doesn't want a video of them together and Kelly Preston to die, he will pay them a a large sum of money. And them, I think in this film is it's John Glover. Right. Is the villain and John Glover is super awesome as the skeezy bad guy, like really good. And so Roy Schneider, he kind of he does he doesn't actually have the money.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Like they think that he's a, he owns this, he's got this big company and he's got all this money, but the the business is in a kind of a, a transitional period and he actually has no cash. Right. So he can't pay, but he's going to try. He decides he's going to try and figure out who this guy is and rescue Kelly Preston. And he, along the way, he meets kind of Kelly Preston's, um, uh, one of Kelly Preston. I think it's her, her roommate or f- someone where she, where she used to work as Vanity. And Vanity, of course, in true Vanity style, as she was in a lot of her films, is like a coked up prostitute. <laughs> Very much a Hurricane, not Hurricane Smith. What's the other one? Um, the... Um Oh, ah, yeah, I can't think of it. It's Sharon Stone, Craig T. Nelson, and <laughs> the guy from Predator. Who's the Who's the um, Who's the black guy from Predator? Carl Weathers Yeah, Carl Weathers It's not It's not Hurricane Smith It's the other one <laughs> I
4: know They both came Action out Action
3: Jackson Action Jackson Oh god we got there Where she plays the She plays the The heroin junkie in that as I well I do
2: love that it's uh, Hurricane Smith That came to your head And not Action Jackson Well because Jackson. you've got the DVD Over there For <laughs> yeah. Hurricane Smith And I
3: was looking at it I was like What's the other one? <laughs> but Action Jackson Is the one I've seen I have not seen Hurricane Smith Funnily mm. enough Um but so, and along, along the way, kind of Roy Schneider, like it breaks up his marriage. His wife finds out His like, everything kind of goes wrong for him, but he does um, really along the way, stick it to John Glover. Like they end up, and it does, it does kind of kind of cross how inept John Glover actually is. Like they don't make him out to be this super brain mm-hmm. like they do in a lot of these kind of movies. Like he's just as fallible as Roy Schneider and Roy Schneider is not perfect either. Yeah, Like they both do stupid things and they both get in over their head. And there is, if you're a fan of, if you're a fan of uh, certain genre of cinema, shall we say, mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of uh, '80s stars of this genre appear in this film during a couple of the party scenes. Ron Jeremy, Tom Byron pops up, Amber Lynn, Sharon Mitchell, Honey Wilder, who they, they do. There is a, on the, um, I think it's an indicator Blu-ray, from memory. Um, they've just brought this film out. They do have their, there's a whole extra feature on the mm. on the porn stars that appear in this film, and they forget about Honey Wilder, which disgusted me. I was very upset by it when yes. I was watching it. I ended up throwing something at the TV. I'm like, no, you guys are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> <Which is> a, <laughs> like, how can you forget Honey Wilder? Like, I was incensed. But anyway, 52 Pickup, excellent film. It is available on Blu-ray. I'm sure it's probably on a streaming service. If not a, uh, a subscription-based one, it'll be on YouTube or... Whatever, but definitely worth checking out.
5: What's happening, everybody? It's here from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. As always, I'm here to tell you just a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week. Kicking off with the growing cast for Oppenheimer, the next film from director Christopher Nolan. Now, Oppenheimer will be telling the story of J. Robert Oppenheimer, the scientist behind the Manhattan Project, which was the big project that led to the invention of the atomic bomb. Cillian Murphy will be playing the lead character, and as previously announced, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Dan. Jr. are also on board and now the latest cast members to join Florence Pugh, Rami Malek and Benny Safdie, the latter of whom you may know as one half of the Safdie brothers, the filmmakers behind Good Time and Uncut Gems. So one hell of a cast so far for Christopher Nolan's next film which currently has a US release date of July 21st, 2023. And in what is no real surprise, Disney slash Marvel has greenlit a sequel to Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Filmmaker Destin Daniel Cretton has signed a multi-year overall deal that will find him crafting various projects for Disney companies and a Shang-Chi sequel is among them. After directing and co-writing the first Shang-Chi film, Cretton will return as both director and writer on the follow-up. Apart from this sequel, Cretton will also be developing television projects and in fact already has a Disney Plus MCU series in the works. No info as yet unfortunately, on what that series will be. The next film coming from the Sixth Sense and Split filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan will be led by Guardians of the Galaxy and Army of the Dead star Dave Batista. Shyamalan's next pick has been titled Knock at the Cabin and, well, that's really about all we know of the film, as is common with Shyamalan projects, plot details are being kept firmly under lock and key, although we do know that Shyamalan will be directing from his own screenplay, we also know the film's US release date. February 3rd, 2023. Shyamalan's most recent film, Old, proved to be a decent financial hit, particularly for a pandemic release. Despite mixed reviews, Old has topped $90 million worldwide. The film costs $18 million to produce. And the planned Gal Gadot starring Cleopatra movie has a new director. Originally set to be directed by Patty Jenkins, who directed Gadot in the two Wonder Woman movies. The big project will now be directed by Carrie Skogland who most recently directed all six episodes of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+. Jenkins has decided to step down from directing to focus on Star Wars, Rogue Squadron and Wonder Woman 3. Jenkins will nevertheless still be attached to Cleopatra as producer. And Denis Villeneuve's big Dune adaptation is finally in Australian cinemas, and we finally have a review up on our website. Four and a half stars from Adam Fleet, who loves the film, writing that Villeneuve has created his own reverent vision of the sci-fi masterpiece, and it deserves to be seen on the biggest screen you can find. Head to ScreenRealm.com, check out the complete review. That about does it for me, guys. As always, ScreenRealm for all your latest movie and TV news, trailers, reviews, and streaming release schedules. Thanks so much, everyone. Catch you next week. (laughs)
2: Together. <laughs> Captain Antonio, mate. Love it. That's from Prince of the City. Um, treat Williams, my friend. All right, so... Um, See,
3: bef- I always thought it was from... Uh, what is that movie? Um,
2: oh, I nab-
3: Kristen Dunst and Mila Kunis. Oh, get Over It? Get Over It, yeah. <laughs> when it has that, that out-of-nowhere dance sequence and then Martin Short spends the next 90 minutes talking
2: about front bums. <laughs> Doesn't love a front bump. No, he doesn't love it. Uh, but before I um, I jump into my recommendation here, um I want to want to ask you: Do you think Million Dollar Hotel is a film noir?
3: This is an odd one because Million Dollar Hotel features uh, an actor by the name of Jeremy Davis. <laughs> he does, <laughs> and I do not care for Jeremy Davis, and I, so I refuse to watch Million Dollar Hotel it's, on principle.
2: It's it's widely regarded as you know one of the worst films ever made, and you know true to form, I like it, and I like it a lot. <laughs> I like so much about it. Wim Wenders directed it, and it's got Milli in Is it. it
3: Wim Wenders or is it Vim Venders?
2: Vim Venders. I'd know Venville I'd learned <laughs> Mel Gibson produced it starting it uh, u2's Bono and the edge wrote it like sorry it's just this weird thing but i I rarely think it's a film noir
3: right several Jews were insulted on it
2: <laughs> come on
3: come on man I'm not letting it go Mel <laughs> I'm sorry
2: all right well I wanted to talk about um, the film hang on I've forgotten what I want to talk about. See.
3: Time's up on anti-Semitism, Mel.
2: Anyway, I wanted to talk about the 1986 film At Close Range. You know, this one is what I would actually consider to be Christopher Walken's best performance. It's, uh, it's something else. And It's prob- probably oh. Sean Penn's best performance as well.
3: I don't know, man. Country Bears. Country <laughs> Bears is a pretty
2: big film. This is a Country Bears. <laughs> country Bears house go boom. <laughs> Man, how many times can we have that reference on the? Oh, <laughs> uh, but this is a, it's an interesting, very dark film. Uh, essentially, about a, a boy who, a teenage boy, and his brother, who's played by Chris Penn. So it's the two right. brothers.
3: They both team up to destroy the Country Bear's house. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they sort of um they get back in touch with their estranged father, Christopher Walken, who is is, right. a, is a very shifty sort of guy. You know embedded deeper into the criminal world than they probably expect. Um, But this is a really... How do you explain it? Like, back in the 80s, those films like River's Edge came along where...
3: Because I haven't seen seen River's Edge and I haven't seen it close range. Oh, okay. So you're talking to someone who has no frame of reference.
2: Okay, so it's an interesting one because Sean Penn's character is... They're both good boys. Like, they, they kind of, you know... Lead a fairly straight life, although in their town and amongst their friends, they're known as the bad boys, right? Right. But that's just a the reputation.
3: And they, they also ac- they accidentally keep flying drones over their neighbor's uh, <laughs> pool house <laughs> and steal their sex toys. Yeah. Because they're good boys. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Those nunchucks, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, as soon as Christopher Walken comes on the scene, he then takes the opportunity to lure them into his world and really fuck with them and get them to do a lot of his dirty deeds and things like that. Uh, The cast in this one is incredible. So, as I said, uh, Christopher Walken, Sean Penn, you've got Mary Stuart Masterson, who plays, you know, Sean Penn's love love interest, and she's fantastic. Um, Millie Perkins is in this one, and I think, is she. Yeah, no. Is it Eileen Ryan or Millie Perkins? One of them is the pen's mother in real life. Oh, I don't know. Yes, but she plays their grandmother in the movie, which is interesting. What an insult. I think it's Eileen Ryan, but you've got Tracy Walter in there as well. David Stratham, I forgot he's in it, and he's excellent. This is a, a really good time for um, Stratham. Like it's other. not
3: Millie Perkins. Millie Perkins was married to... Uh... Stockwell for Eileen,
2: a while. Eileen Ryan. It was Eileen Ryan, I'm pretty right. sure, and she plays the grandmother who is actually in real life their mother. Um, directed by, however, James Foley, who you know some people in, you know will probably know him from those Final Two Shades of Grey movies, which are fucking awful.
3: Never seen one. Never seen a shade of, a shade of grey. Haven't you? No, I've I have. I'm not going to lie. I've been to CelebJihad.com and seen the the nudy c- clips. Oh, from it, from them. Yep. But I've never, I have
2: too much respect for Dakota
3: Johnson to... Uh...
2: <laughs> well, you might know, he did, in 96, he made the movie Fear with um, Mark Wahlberg and oh, he made the chamber with... with...
3: the uh, Ferris wheel fingering.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Didn't see that in the Ferris wheel in Goosebumps.
3: No. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say that that is the movie that really, like, put me off William Peterson. Oh, right. Like ever yeah. ever since, like watching Fear, because I think I saw Fear before I saw Manhunter, before I saw Mulholland. He's, in, he's got a small role in Mulholland Falls. Yep. And a bunch of others. And it just, like, he's just a weak. Yep. I, I couldn't stand him. Like, he's just like this kind of weak man. And it's tainted everything I've seen of him since. Like, except for Manhunter. Like, Manhunter, you're like, fucking hell, William Peterson is awesome.
2: I liked him in Young Guns too.
3: And I, oh geez, I don't
2: even remember him from
3: Young Guns Pat 2. I, I do like him in um, To Live and Die in LA. Like He's great yeah, in that.
2: Yeah. Um, but speaking of like weak little men, um, Crispin Glover is also in this one. Yeah, right. It's, it's cool. a really, a really good role for Crispin dance? Glover. Does he dance? He does. One? He does a weird dance. <laughs> he does a weird dance. <laughs> well, he walks like he's doing a weird dance. Right. Um, and he's playing the typical eccentric that he does. But I think this one has got a lot more weight to it than the, a lot of his other performances. But yeah, um, James Foley also made um, The Chamber with you know, Chris O'Donnell and um, Gene Hackman and The Corruptor with Mark Wahlberg again. And so, you know, this is a, a good filmmaker that sort of, I think I, re- I saw an interview with him recently saying he only did the Shades of Grey movies just for the paycheck, you know.
3: Well, is it, that's why everyone, anyone well, that's who was involved in the Shades of Grey movies did the Shades of Grey movies. <laughs> but anyone who says they did any movie that and not for a paycheck, it's either for a career advancement, which means, you know, paycheck. <laughs> or it's for a pay, the paycheck of what they think they deserve, paycheck. Yep. Well, anyway. Not that's to give, why people work.
2: Not to give anything away because there are a lot of things that would venture into spoilers, but the uh, the final act in that close range is incredible. And I'll tell you one story that's great where um, there's a performance from Christopher Walken that you can see the moment he soiled his pants, right? Because there's a scene in the kitchen where um, Sean Penn pulls a gun on Christopher Walken. And in real life, Christopher Walken... Um, is very strict about guns on set, right? He is terrified of firearms in general; doesn't own any, and so he always has the prop master on set. He makes sure all the precautions are taking place. And just before they called action, Sean Penn switched it for a real gun and put it into Christopher Walken's face for the scene. So the fear you see on Christopher Walken in this scene, which is one of the greatest performances in history, is real; like it's palpable.
3: I would be fucking furious. He with was Sean Penn.
2: apparently it, it was a big rift afterwards. Yeah. But that performance that they got out of him was simply him actually petrified to the point of not being able to move. Yeah, right. And it is just powerful stuff. And fuck Sean Penn for doing it, you know. Yeah. Um, I guess he's just lucky it wasn't Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jesus.
3: Jesus.
2: <laughs> anyway, at close range, I highly recommend it. Um, add it. Add it to your list for sure.
6: Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. This week, very specific topic, 80s films that are neo-noir. Now, what does noir mean? Go ahead, Joe. What does noir mean? Isn't it dark? Yeah. Black? (laughs) Neo is a character from the Matrix. Matrix. And we're going to talk about the dark Matrix. That's what that neo-noir means.
4: All right. So this is really one of my favorite films from the 80s. And I didn't watch it until the late 2000s. This is great. Um, I am a huge fan of Bob Hoskins. He is probably, if you gave me a, an, an actor to list as my favorite actor, he would probably be it. Uh, and, uh, you know, the fact that he died, like, right after my daughter was born was a little bit of a heartbreaking moment in the moment of one of my highest moments of my life. But Wasn't your
7: daughter killing?
4: That's what I want to know.
7: Oh, my God. Um, Who killed Bob Hoskins? It'll be a
4: spoof of Frank <laughs> Roger Rabbit but I am a good, I am a great, huge fan of the long, good Friday. Uh, and Bob Hoskins playing the, the the mob boss who is just trying to, you know, he's, he's having a typical Easter for Easter um, Friday, you know, celebrating Easter. Um, and he's, and then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose in his territory. And it's him trying to get through the, through this, um, this unknown threat to try to figure out what's happening to his crime empire. It is fantastic. Not only does this star Bob Hawkins, it also has the amazing Helen Mirren, P.H. Moriarty, who I love in everything that he does, no matter how schlocky it no is. No
6: matter how much he goes after Sherlock.
4: If you haven't seen The Long Good Friday, again, it was one of those late discoveries for me that I didn't... You know, I've, I've
6: I just, still never seen it. I'm going to go with John Frankenheimer, the man who was trying to get off the cocaine during the 80s and struck a deal with a little studio that could. And by that, there was it was ran by two crazy Israelis called Cannon. Cannon only made three good movies, gentlemen. What are they?
4: Delta Force. No. Delta Force 2.
6: <laughs> no. Delta Force 3. Did no. they make any of them trash Wish films? Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Sorry, (laughs) I can never remember what the second one was, but the third one is a little movie starring Roy Scheider called 52 Pickup that has one of the creepiest, and I mean creepiest, roles John Glover ever played as the villain. He and Clarence Williams III are creepy as hell in this movie. And basically, what it is is this guy's having an affair, Roy Scheider. Although it makes no sense because he is he is uh, married to, um, and Margaret plays his wife, and he's having an affair. Think about that for a second, gentlemen. Think about that. Anyone. I could
4: I couldn't even fathom.
7: I'd all. Maybe it's an I'd trade it all for a little bit more mentality
6: right as a businessman he's being blackmailed by these two guys and everything goes to hell from there it's based on a famous Elmore leonard novel it's actually been adapted a couple of times but this seems to be the one that people remember because for some odd reason of all the schlock and shit that came out of canon this movie's pretty damn good gentlemen if you ever get a chance to watch 52 Pickup, up john glover's doing something with his voice i mean i it's one of those where people are making acting's about decisions or choices and they make choices that I think other directors may not have let them go down but it all comes together and congeals and Roy Schotter gives one of the best performances he ever gave which is something because Roy Schotter I think is a good character actor who
7: unfortunately became a star I'm going to talk about and this is on some neo-noir list but it doesn't get a lot of attention a lot of people wonder why it doesn't get the attention um because it is the best Sean Penn Chris Penn and Christopher Walken team up, ever filmed, At Close Range. If you've never seen At Close Range, it's just based on a true story about a family that's involved in organized crime. (laughs) And one of the best scenes in it, uh, if you read the the behind-the-scenes information, there's a scene where, spoiler, Sean Penn, as the son, pulls a gun on his father, played by Christopher Walken. Mm -hmm. and christopher walken in the scene you actually see him jerk back that's because sean penn switched the guns it was not the prop gun because he wanted to see the response and if a lot of people don't know this because christopher walken has done a lot of movies where there's gunplay he is not a fan of guns and so the the response of terror on his face as it goes into that scene is actually legitimate because he He knew Sean Penn was kind of a method style actor and it kind of freaked him out a little bit, but it's, it's a film that really does play with the light and the dark. It has a very, but it is definitely a dark side of the human experience while also looking at this weird family dynamic. It's, it's a good movie that a lot of people slept on, which was odd because it came out when Walken was doing dead zone and he was doing bond villains. And this one had a song by Madonna It was, a lot of people thought it would win awards and then it just kind of faded away and not too many people talk about it.
6: And the other third grade film was breaking. No, actually it's Runaway Train. This has been Bonehead Weekly.
7: Runaway uh... Train, never
6: coming back.
2: It's time for you to take the mic, mate. Uh, What have you got in store now for your next recommendation?
3: Well, I'm going to talk about possibly one of my favorite films of all time. I don't know when it was. I first saw it. I don't remember the the circumstances around why I saw it, uh, but it is nineteen eighty five Subway directed oh. by Luc Besson. I th- decided to go like if we're going to talk about noir, like let's talk about a French film.
2: Well, yeah, and we we've touched upon this before in our French episode, but we mm-hmm. haven't focused on it. So yeah, for anyone that's playing along at home, you know, yeah, go fuck
3: yourself. And like I do, <laughs> like I I, do, <laughs> I remember like as a kid like seeing the. The cover in the video store, and not understand. Like I thought, why is he? Ca- I thought he was carrying a lightsaber. It
2: looks like a lightsaber, doesn't yeah. it? It looks yeah. like he's ready for action.
3: And it, and he's got like I thought it was like the Star Wars meets the Lost Boys.
2: Yeah, but it turns out he just can't see. Yeah, he's, he's just, light. just
3: blind as a bat. <laughs> uh, so it's directed by Luc Besson, as I mentioned, and co-written by Besson and Mark Perrier. And it has possibly one of the greatest uh, soundtracks of all time. But it also stars. It stars Christopher Lambert, Lambert, Lambert. Uh, as Raiden, I mean, sorry, as Fred. <laughs> or
2: Beowulf, whichever or, way
3: you want to it. As Fred, who is a, a petty thief, and he gets invited to a swanky party by uh, Isabella Jani, who's like the trophy wife for this uh, dodgy businessman. And while he's at the party, he kind of goes upstairs looking for something to steal, and he steals some documents that are very sensitive and then goes on the run and ends up hiding in the tunnels under Paris Metro yep. train station yep. where he meets this kind of in typical Luc Besson <laughs> kind of fashion meets this weird cast of um, characters, including like some of some uh, French favorites, jean Jean-Hughes Anglade, uh, Jean Renault pops up, Eric Serra, the guy who composed the soundtrack also turns up. There's a weird, like at one point he puts the, he decides to put a band together made, from, made up from these people under the subway, and they're going to perform kind of in the lobby, like for no reason. There's no reason behind this. He's just hanging out while he's trying to figure out how to extort money and mm-hmm. not get caught yep. by this businessman. And Isabella Johnny kind of comes along and joins him. I think he kind of kidnaps her. Um, but yeah, so John Renault plays the drums in the band, and there's this, I don't know, uh, Arthur Sims is the singer. Um, and they, they for, uh, I think in their first performance they all dress up in um, <laughs> in pith helmets and safari suits, which is great. <laughs> so strange, <laughs> so it's so weird. Yep. But it is such a kinetic, fast paced, fun film.
2: Couldn't agree more.
3: You know, and it, which is odd for a film night, but it is like it is also dark and dealing with the criminal underworld, and you know a lot of, kind of criminal types. It's 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 an amazing amalgam that I don't think anyone had done anything like this, you know, before. And this is this is and keep in mind this is Luc Besson's second film. Mm. This is his first film with a budget, like yep. his first film *La Dunia Combat* or I think it's called *Last Combat* or something like that in English.
4: Well, yeah,
3: um, was like a low budget, like film made of offcuts. <laughs> like he, you know, he he made it like while he was almost like a film student kind of thing. And uh, and this so this was his first big one, and from like the I think I'm pretty sure the opening scene, if not the opening scene, it's very early on in the film, j- during the kind of title credits, is is all of the the cops kind of chasing him down the stairs yeah. of the Louvre, and it's just kind of the shot is just of their feet running down all of these steps and down these long kind of um, subway tunnels and stuff like that, and it is <laughs> yeah. just. So incredibly watchable, even though it there's there's no dialogue, there's no plot Mm -hmm.
2: at this point of the film. It's just action. I hate to say it. I love to say it. And you know where this is going. But I think (laughs) technically, stylistically, a a filmmaker that got close to that in the 80s was probably Albert Pugh with those early films he did. (laughs) The, the, The dangerously close and all that, like... I feel like that's the kind of style he was rocking at the time and sort of moved away from after a few years. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sure. Okay, well, how about credit must be given to um, to, uh, to Lambert's hair?
3: Yes, the peroxide white uh, mane. I know. That he, 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 uh, he, uh...
2: he only bought the peroxide white back for Beowulf.
3: Yeah, right, yeah. Although he had peroxide in uh, Mortal Kombat, didn't he? He's well. He's got white. He's got wig. white long hair. I reckon that's a wig. Yeah, I don't wig reckon it was his own no, hair. It
2: definitely was not. It's hard to tell. <laughs> and this was.
3: And this was before he married Diane Lane and started making chess thrillers mm. uh, and stuff like this is and uh, cutting people's heads off in Highlander.
2: Imagine if they'd made Subway with Jarrett, the Subway guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a whole different vibe there. But part two has John Lovitz.
3: But the whole thing is like it's yeah. The stairs running, up and down the stairs, that's how we lost all the weight.
2: <laughs> I remember the poster for Subway and that tagline, eat fresh.
3: Yeah. <laughs> now do it in a French accent. Eat fresh. La franche. La, La franche. La franche? I don't know what,
2: yeah. No. Sorry to be offensive to... <coughs> all, all, the the, all our French listeners. What do they call them? Francophiles? Yeah. <laughs> no? Yeah, they're Francophiles. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, you got that correct.
3: Well done. It's the first time you've pronounced anything correct on the show since, <laughs> since it started.
8: hello and happy monday friends i'm chloe from movie night with the richie girls the podcast where i like to antagonize my mother for acting like an 80 year old and she likes to tell me off for swearing too much i've said in the past that i was stumped when trying to choose a movie to watch but holy hell this week i had naught. i am so basic that i had basically no idea where to even start and i was incredibly intimidated uh to get fully into this topic You know, eventually I was able to land on the dark and ambiguous cruising, but it was a journey. I am so glad, however, to have been pushed completely out of my comfort zone this year with topics that Glenn and Ben have chosen. Um, I've had my eyes open to so many new movies I probably wouldn't have chosen to watch my own accord. And, um, you know, this week is no different because boy oh boy was cruising one hell of a choice. (laughs) You know, Pacino plays that New York City cop who to further his career goes undercover in the gay s and underground scene to try and catch a killer who's targeting gay men. This movie had me switching between, holy crap, Al Pacino is smoking hot, to, ew, Al Pacino, ugh, to, oh my god, Pacino is a genius, to, oh, come on Pacino, stop being so fucking awful. It was confusing, but wonderful. In some ways, it was groundbreaking, and incredibly brave performance on Pacino's part, considering the climate of the United States at the time towards the gay community. And in other ways, I feel like he almost completely butchered it. Cruising was a pioneering piece of cinema and it was protested severely, especially by the members of the gay community. And according to William Friedkin, it should have been marked uh, rated X. And with that I agree. I have never seen so much ass cheek in my life, and to this day is the only portraying of ass fisting I've seen on screen. Hashtag prude. I feel like this movie a stronger score would have pulled the whole movie together just a little bit more um, just to help the story and to set the tone although that opinion of mine could come from my privileged past movie going experiences where the score basically tells me what to feel when to feel it so having an understated score could have been a decision by William to make the viewer focus more on what was happening in a moment and to force me to really think hard on what was being put across the screen and in that aspect the score was great. However, I probably would have preferred something a little more musically, you know, dark and intense. That being said, you know, the voice dubbing that happened in this movie completely did my head in as well. If cruising has always been your to watch list, let me paint that mental picture for you just to pull you across the line uh, so you can watch it. Within the 102 minutes, you will treat your brain and eyeballs to witness... You know, insanely large African-American men in jock straps slapping white boys. You'll experience gimsuits. You'll experience a man greasing up to the elbow and then putting it inside another man in the middle of a nightclub. You'll experience Pacino dancing. Ugh. There'll be a lot of leather and a lot of hairy, hairy man ass. I knew it. You're convinced. You know, I'm super glad I got the opportunity to see Cruising. However, I don't think it'll be one I'll be re-watching anytime soon. Now that is my overstimulated and leather-clad opinion, and I am sticking to it. Have a happy Monday, friends.
2: Let's, um, let's be a little bit off the cuff here, Ben, and just uh, throw some random film noir titles out. I don't know if this is for the benefit of Letterboxd or if we're just not going <laughs> to add yeah. anything uh, from this part to Letterboxd, given that are not focal points. But well, you mentioned Blood Simple earlier, or I did. Um, Blue Velvet's definitely one. What about... Yes, indeed. Um, would you call Blade Runner? Film noir or well, I neo-noir?
3: I always thought of Blade Runner as more um, cyberpunk. Yeah. But it, look, I, the argument could be made.
2: And I noticed that um, The Witness popped up on quite a few lists when I was right. looking it up. Um, but I kind of thought when, if you think of Harrison Ford in the 80s, Frantic is much more film noir. Yeah, know, definitely. Of the two. I don't know yeah. if I would class Witness as one.
3: Do you remember, uh, I think I talked about it on the show, Either Jury. Yeah, no, which is a, which is funny enough. It's a private uh, yep. detective movie. Amanda Sante, yep. Um, Mike Hammer, a Mike Hammer film, uh, eight million ways to die, which I definitely talked about on the show. The Matt Scudder, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and cool. I, yeah, you know, flashy neon. I do like a good flashy neon crime film. One
2: that came to my mind um, when you're talking before that I probably should have done as a focus film was Sea of Love, the Al Pacino film. Yeah. Uh, Had John Goodwin in it too. I remember loving that film.
3: I remember watching, I was way too young watching that film and not understanding, like there's a scene where Ellen Barkin mounts Al Pacino from behind and I was like, I remember watching it going, what is she doing? Like, that's not how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Like I I did not, I still, I still, I haven't watched it since. (laughs) So I don't know if it was something I was missing, but I was watching that going, she just, is she rubbing against him? Like what is it? And what's, what's in it for him? This is such a weird scene. (laughs)
2: Gonna have to rewatch it for that. Yeah. Uh Angel Heart's a good one. Do you know one I haven't watched for a long time was um Thief. Was that Michael Mann's first one? Michael Man one, yeah. Yeah, I I yeah, I haven't watched that in a long time. I don't even remember. I remember I think it didn't imprint
3: just bring this out on uh Yeah is it, this or The Gambler.
2: No, or no, no. It, Thief has stuff? had a fairly recent release, I yeah. think. Uh, as has, I should have mentioned at close range, they put that on the imprint label.
3: Ah, right. Yeah. Oh well. Uh on down to J.B. Hoffman, get that. Gloria, it's another one that's come out, that Jarrett mentioned that's come out in imprint. Mm. Uh, the Cassavetes, the original Cassavetes one, then Sharon Stone remade it in the 90s.
2: How about these ones came out in the 80s, but they are much more a throwback to film noir. You had Who Framed Roger Rabbit. and yes, And Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. What a classic Dead Men. How good is that?
3: I ain't seen a girl built like that since the case of the girl with the really big
2: tits. (laughs) My parents uh, got to go to one of those secret screenings. Do you remember when they used to do those? Yeah. You get a ticket to like an unknown movie and that's the one they got.
3: I always figured that that was Thieves. Thieves had booked the cinema out and they would send it to your house (laughs) so they knew when everyone in the house would be out. (laughs) So they could rob, they could burgle you.
2: Uh, Any more there that you want to mention?
3: Uh, what about like if we're gonna go with the comedy ones? What about uh, throw mama from the train? Oh
2: fuck! Mate. How oh, good is that?
3: One that I I did talk about kind of in depth on a on an earlier show called which was here it was released on video as the watcher, mm. but the the um I think the actual episode title was the MacGuffin, which is that what is the Hitchcockian mm-hmm. thriller with Charles Dance, but he's like a f- a film critic. Yep, and he's but he finds himself in like a Hitchcock thriller, which was. Which was really good. Uh, Stormy Monday was one I was going to talk about with Melanie Griffithson, a very young seeming Sean Bean. One of the few Sean Bean films where I think he lives throughout the entire film. Yeah, he was... does not get killed, but stings stings in it. Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. I think it was at that period where Tommy Lee Jones was playing the bad guy and everything, mm. because it wouldn't have been far away from um the package. Yep. And um. Even under siege, although that would have been in the nineties.
2: Arguably, that um, the one he did uh, in the park, the Central Park thriller, he's yeah. kind of a bad guy, oh, sympathetic the, bad guy.
3: Uh, the park is mine. Park is mine. The park is mine. Well, that's his. That's great a. Movie. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. made for TV film, but that's a. Um, yeah, he takes the park hostage. He's a yeah. damaged Vietnam vet. That's yeah. great.
2: Yeah, I got. I, I watched the Blu-ray of that. It was just stunning. Yeah. Um, i was oh,
3: shocked that there's 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 material. Around to make it a, uh, yeah. a a Blu-ray.
2: Yeah, well, geez, man, there are so many, and I don't know. Like, it's a it's not a genre I, I think about too often, but I really I need to dive in. We've mentioned some titles here that I need to add back to my list. Any more before we um we throw it across? I'm just like, do you remember Hammett with yeah. Frederick Forrest? Yeah, how good's Frederick Forrest? Um, and
3: that, remember, he was like Johnny Depp being really upset because Frederick Forrest was the originally the lead in Twenty One Jump Street, and that's why Johnny Depp agreed to do it. And then after the first season, Frederick Forrest went, "I'm not doing this anymore," and quit. <laughs> and then Johnny Depp's just left there with, admittedly, with that with um I can't remember the guy's name, but he's the guy who does that. Uh, it's a really it's a shame when people be throwing away a perfectly good white boy from. Uh, oh. Uh, is it Better Off Dead or whatever it is I can't, I can't remember no, what, I can't what the remember film is it. it's it's either it's uh,
2: oh not one but they
3: one of the garbage men I'm sure it's a John Cusack movie
2: One Crazy Summer maybe I don't yeah, know something yeah something like that yeah well you know actually you mentioned before Throw Mama from the Train did, was this just me dreaming it or did I read somewhere recently that Billy Crystal wanted to do a sequel jeez <laughs> But like, what
3: is it? Throw, fight, dig up Mama's corpse? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I kind of hope that like...
3: Like Anne Ramsey's dead.
2: It's a good outcome either way, whether I dreamt it or it's real. Like, you know, it's like, yeah. it's a good thing. But I mean, what do you do? Like, is it just those two characters doing something else that's sh- shifty?
3: Or do you just do a remake?
2: No. I mean, there's that still... That was a remake, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, right. But yeah, but that's... Yeah, you could do a remake of a remake. And, and <laughs> I don't think killing Mums has ever gone out of fashion.
9: No, it hasn't. You're right. You know... <laughs> Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. This week we are doing neo-noirs from the 1980s and I could not go past everyone's favourite Cuban gangster, Scarface. Now, this is the movie that launched, uh, you know, a million Al Pacino impersonations, Eh, posters adorned on every second guys. Dorm room, and uh, you know, and it's an enduring classic, and it's an enduring classic for a reason. I mean, this is an abrasive, assaultive film. Uh, rumor has it that the band Blink One Eighty Two, the One Eighty Two denotes how many times the word "fuck" is used in the script for Scarface. Now, <clears throat> this is a remake written by Oliver Stone, the great Oliver Stone here, and basically is the ultimate rags to riches story within the cocaine trade. Al Pacino here is, well, you know, basically unrecognizable. And with his accent, mine is like, it's just an absolute indelible part of pop culture history. This is a beast of a movie. Uh, If you have not seen this for whatever reason, uh, rectify that ASAP. I mean, Brian De Palma is one of the great visual stylists of our cinematic age. And here he is in just absolutely top form. This piece has, you know, some of the most iconic images and some of the most incredible suspense sequences that you will see in any movie. Um, is it gaudy? Is it over the top? Absolutely. And once again, like permeating popular culture, it's been reappropriated by things like, you know, Grand Theft Auto. It just endures. But uh, this tale of Tony Montana, a guy who basically, you know, the the world is not enough. You know, this guy. When would this guy stop? And the answer is never. Uh, and him just rising through the ranks, and the level of violence that, is, uh, you know, that follows this guy around makes this you know, a movie that just pins you to your seat despite its absolutely epic 170-minute runtime. Um, I think, you know, unless you're someone who just can't stomach violence whatsoever, there is a singular element of great filmmaking for everyone in this. You know, like, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is incredible here in her performance. I mean, you know, the color palette here is, you know, is unforgettable. The soundtrack, you know, you still hear numbers from it and it invokes, you know, memories of Scarface. So I think that, you know, like, I mean, when you're gonna talk about great gangster movies and especially like great 80s movies, Scarface, uh, you know, is your absolute ticket. So if you haven't seen it, say hello, my little friend, uh, you'll understand why everyone is still uh, mumbling and grimacing like Tony Montana, you know, a really, really almost 40 years after the fact. So Scarface, five-star film, check it out ASAP.
2: And as always, the dulcet sounds of Adam signals the end of the show. It's not very dulcet, though. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't really know what dulcet means. I'm, I'll admit that. I'll, I'll have to look that up on the <laughs> Dictionary.com. It's a
2: set of dolls, my friend. Yeah, right. Um, It's been a fun episode. Um, Anything else you want to add to the conversation before we sign off with a banger? No. Okay, well, thanks. (laughs) 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 Of course, as I always say, um, we are all across social media, so you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. We do have Twitter. It's under the fakechamp.net banner. We have a website, goodmoviemonday.com. That's where you'll find everything we do. And, of course, we're on all of the podcast platforms. Um, like I said, also, I think next week is our final episode. It's our Christmas special, and it's going to be an all-in affair. The whole gang's going to be here, most of them in person. Uh, if not, they will be down the line. But um, excellent. Thank you to those guys also. We've got Jarrett, Guillermo, Adam, Chloe, James, Chad, Joe. And um, big thanks to Tia behind the scenes who helps us on social media. And we've got a, a song to sign off with from Fear City, which uh,
3: that's a, I think mean, that's one of everyone's favourite films.
2: It's uh, it's the the gang back boogie gang <laughs> with a song called Fun, and boy is it! <laughs> See you next week.
0: i mm-hmm.